Today we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, this day on which Jesus goes down to the Jordan River, just another river, to see a guy, just another guy, a sinner like you and me, and to be baptized. And on this celebration of Jesus' baptism, where we see this miracle on full display, as the heavens tear open and the Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove, we can't help but ask the question, what is the significance of this? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus had no sin. Shocker, I know. Jesus had no sin and yet he, he's going to be baptized the way that all of the other sinners went to be baptized. What do we make of this? Two things. Jesus approaches baptism in order to fulfill all things for you and I. Because you and I are called to be baptized, Jesus is baptized. Jesus also is baptized in order to strengthen him for his journey into the wilderness where he was going to be tempted by the devil. In a very real way, the Son of God himself was strengthened by the Spirit. And finally, Jesus is willing to be baptized in order to highlight the importance of baptism in our lives as well. We're going to go through Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, in order to understand the significance, the importance of, of this baptism in our lives, what our baptism means to us for today, tomorrow, and, and for the life to come. And all of this is pointed to by the fact that Jesus was willing to be baptized first. And as we go through these verses, I want one thought to resonate in our minds. In baptism, what is Christ's becomes ours. I'll say it again. In baptism, what is Christ's becomes ours. Let's look to see what, what Paul says to us in Romans regarding this, this baptism, this new life that we live in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In the preceding verses to this, Paul delivers this beautiful, jaw-dropping message with regard to the grace of Jesus. He essentially says that the more you sin, the greater grace is God, greater grace, the greater God's grace becomes. The more we become aware of our sin, the more we become aware of the unfathomable grace that Jesus has for us. As sin increases, God's grace increases. As, as our rebellion against God increases, the more we realize the lengths to which he will go in order to get us back. Paul, Paul highlights just how beautiful it is to know that we are not able to out-sin the grace of our Lord Jesus. But then he's very aware of the fact that that could be taken the wrong way, couldn't it? We here as Lutherans were sometimes accused of, of cheap grace. It's this idea 
that we preach this doctrine that says that no matter how much you sin, you can just go ahead and keep on sinning and it doesn't really matter because the forgiveness of Jesus covers you. So, so go have at it. Essentially, they, they, they might look at us, other people might look at us and say that your church teaches that on Sunday you might show up and, and speak those words of sin and grace that we did at the beginning of this service and then the other six days out of the week you are able to do whatever you want as long as you find your way right back here on the seventh day. People don't love that teaching. They say that cheapens grace. They say it cheapens the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But please hear me, dear brothers and sisters. What Paul is saying here is not, is not that what we ought to do is then attach all of these conditions to God's grace. He's not saying we need to, to overcorrect and teach a, a works righteousness, even if it's just a small works righteousness that says that if you want to be right with God, yes, God has to shine his grace on you, but also you have to do this, that, and the other thing. Paul is not calling us to overcorrect and, and, and inject works into the grace of God. What essentially he's saying that is that if you take advantage of God's grace, if you hear the teaching that says you are forgiven fully, freely, and forever, and yes, my arms are wide open every single time you want to come back to me, and I am going to chase you down and pursue you like the lost sheep time after time after time. If you hear those words and your first thought is, ah, then I guess I can just live like an animal, can't I? The problem is not with God's grace. The problem is with the sinful human nature that lives in every single one of us. And I don't think any of us would ever rationalize this to the people around us in our lives, would we? We wouldn't tell our spouse or our family members that we are, we are going to commit a sin because we know that we can go back to church the next day and receive forgiveness for that sin, so we're just going to have at it. We, we don't say those things out loud because we know how ugly and gross those things sound. But man, if that's not in the back of our minds when sin is before us, when the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked lie in front of us, there's that voice, that, that sinful nature in the back of our mind that does say, you know what, if you just tiptoe down the way of the wicked just a little bit, don't worry. There's grace. Yes, tragically, we would have to admit that we, yes, we even, as Christians, we take advantage of God's grace. And there are those times where we say, you know what, God, I'm going to do whatever I want because I know I can always come back to you. What a perversion of God's grace. And it's not the life that Paul is speaking about in the following verses of Romans. L listen closely. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In baptism, 
what is Christ's becomes mine. This gives a clear picture as to what Christ's is. His death becomes my death. His entrance into the grave, victorious, having atoned for the, the sins of the entire world, that death that he died becomes my death. Through what? Through baptism. It is at baptism that we receive that, that uniting that says, as Christ goes, so will you go. And yes, if Christ died and entered the grave to sin, if he took on every sin of the world and that drove him into the grave, then guess what? You go with him. But dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we go with Jesus into the grave because we know that Jesus doesn't stay in the grave forever. Yes, in baptism, Christ's death becomes our death. I've seen it in our church as I look out when I, when I do the, the declaration of the forgiveness of sins at the ends of the, the, word, the words of sin and grace. And I see several of our members will cross themselves. And I know what a lot of people think when they see that. Their first thought, if they haven't had any experience with that, is that is Roman Catholic. And so, so people naturally assume that's, that's maybe not a good thing to do. We don't just use Jesus as a good luck charm, right? I was watching Wheel of Fortune as every good senior citizen like myself does. I was watching Wheel of Fortune a couple weeks back and as she was, this woman had won and she was entering to the prize puzzle and she was just about to, to see the puzzle unveiled before him, before her, she, she threw one of these haphazard crosses down and, and my first thought is, what, what is, what is that? Just a good luck charm? That's not what that is. In fact, dear brothers and sisters, this can be one of the most beautiful signs when used in its proper light. In its original intent, it is there to remind you of your baptism. To remind you of that beautiful truth that you have been united to Christ's death. That when you were brought to the baptismal font, whether you were a baby or whether you were an adult, that your sinful nature has been held underwater and drowned completely. And I know, I know what you're thinking. That is such a violent, violent image. But yes, that is the image that is used. Your sinful nature has been held underwater and completely removed from you. Christ's death and the death of sin becomes your death and the death of sin in your life. That way, when you do hear those words, whether it's at the blessing at the end of the service or during the words of sin and grace, you hear those words in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can think of that moment, whether you remember or not, that moment that a pastor or maybe even a parent made the sign of the cross on your head and on your heart and, and sprinkled those life-giving waters, spoke those life-giving words over you, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in a very real way, connected you to the death of our Lord Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. For if we have been united with him in, death like his, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone 
who has died has been set free from sin. The the heavens tear open today and at Jesus' baptism and, and we hear the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Up until that point, Jesus had lived a, a well-pleasing life to God. God had laid down his will. The Father has said, I want this, this, and this out of your life. I want you to be perfect. I want you to keep all of the laws And Jesus had done just that. And going forward, in his baptism and and in the rest of his life, Jesus was going to continue to live a life that fell in perfect line, in perfect unity with what the will of his Father was. What God wanted, that is what Christ would do. That is perfect obedience. That truly is a life well lived. And do you hear what it says? we will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like him, like his. The old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and we should no longer be slaves to sin. Your life is not one that is enslaved to sin. Far from it. Your life is one that is completely interwoven and attached to Christ. There was a moment before we received faith, before we were baptized, that that we lived in open rebellion against God. God would never have looked at us and said, with you I am well pleased. But because of Christ and his death on your behalf, the words that God speaks to his, his son today are the same words that he speaks to you. With you I am well pleased. Why? Because of him. Because his life becomes your life. And yes, dear brothers and sisters, his resurrection becomes your resurrection. That just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, you can know that a grave, that an urn, that a a casket, that couldn't contain the Christ. And it has no chance of containing you. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. And finally, Paul concludes, he says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Death has no mastery over Jesus. Whether we are talking about spiritual death, the death that is caused by sin, or we are talking about physical death, Jesus proves once and for all that, that those two things are, have no power over him. And what did I say at the beginning of this sermon? In baptism, what is Christ's becomes ours. You get to live unlike the rest of the world. The rest of the world, when they're caught in, in sin or troubles or challenges, they feel overcome. They feel as if there is no way out. They feel as if there's no end in sight. 
Not so, dear brothers and sisters. Those challenges, that death, that sin has no mastery over you. There are moments where you might look in the mirror and you go, you, you standing in the mirror in front of me are, are a farce. You're not the person you claim to be. You, you, you don't even try sometimes to be the person you claim to be. And yet we still wear the seal that was given to us at baptism. We still carry around the resurrection, the life of Jesus, and he makes those ours through baptism. That you might look in that mirror and you might say, you are not the father, the mother, the spouse. You are not the worker. You are not the friend. You are not the Christian that you want to be. And yet Christ has said, don't let any of that define you. You might look at your life and say, it feels as if laziness has overcome my spiritual life. Or apathy has entered my life with Christ where church is humdrum and personal Bible study is in the rearview mirror. Dear brothers and sisters, you don't approach that challenge on your own. It's not you against sin. It is Christ who crucified the old self in you versus sin. It is Christ who promises to walk with you in life versus sin. And yes, it is Christ who conquered death versus your death. Your baptism means a whole lot. And whatever it takes in your life, whether it's the sign of the cross, whether it's splashing water on your face, whatever it takes, dear brothers and sisters, I urge you, make that a part of your daily life. Remember your baptism. Remember your true identity. Remember that connection that you have with Christ because it is that connection that gets you through battles with sin, that gets you through the struggles of this world. And yes, it is that connection that Jesus establishes with you at baptism that takes you to your rightful home, to his side in heaven. It all begins with baptism. For Christ and for us. Amen.